Welcome to season two of Elevate from Elevation Barn. I'm Ted Guidotti. This season will continue to engage with some of the planet's most curious, generous, and accomplished leaders as they dig in, reach out, and pivot to find their own personal and collective paths of purpose. In each episode, we turn the challenges they face into conversations, and those conversations into clarity. Solitary confinement has long been known to severely diminish a person's mental state. Depriving someone of social contact and sensory stimulation can trigger anxiety, paranoia, even thoughts and acts of suicide. But this episode isn't about involuntary confinement. It's about the bubbles we willingly and deliberately place ourselves in that have an equally profound and destructive effect. We live under roofs, behind walls, surrounded by fences and cubes, looking through glass and screens as distant spectators of the world we live in. This self-imposed exile has stunted our ability to understand and protect the earth and oceans that feed us. But every once in a while, a few exceptional humans come along to teach us what it's like to reconnect. Craig Foster is a free-diving South African filmmaker, naturalist, and founder of the Sea Change Project, who's best known for his documentary, My Octopus Teacher. Dr. Sylvia Earle is a world-renowned marine biologist, founder of Mission Blue, and a lifelong champion of the sea. Even at 85, she's got the uncanny ability to see every living creature as if she were just five and seeing it for the first time. In this, only their second time meeting, Sylvia and Craig discuss their shared mission to minimize the mental and physical barriers between ourselves and the natural world. Their approach to conservation isn't just about saving the oceans, but also about saving ourselves. They remind us that the oceans and the creatures within it don't just give us our ability to breathe, but more than a few reasons to do it. Here's Sylvia and Craig in conversation with Will Travis, founder of Elevation Park. I'm absolutely honoured to be the chair of this evening's conversation. My name is Will Travis. I'm one of the Mission Blue board members, and I'm a founder of a network called the Elevation Barn. We're a global community of insatiably curious and extremely industry diverse leaders that are extremely passionate about elevating the solutions for the world's greatest challenges. And probably like many of you, I was absolutely gobsmacked. Uh, flummoxed by the brilliance of a, a very recent documentary, My Octopus Teacher, produced by the team at the Sea Change Project. And because of that film, I reached out to my friend who will be with me here tonight, uh, the famous Sylvia Earle. And together we talked about the incredible impact that this documentary will have and is having on society today. I reached out to Ross and Craig and the team at Sea Change Project, and they very kindly have decided to join us here tonight. Craig's going to be leading us in conversation with Dr. Earl about this film, which News Justin has been forwards to be an Oscar-winning documentary as of the last 12 hours, quite well rewarded. Craig, Dr. Earl, welcome. Morning, evening, yeah. both sides of the world. Craig's on a generator at the moment in South Africa, so hopefully he'll stay with us. <laughs> Dr. Earl has her pet octopus mug. Perfect. So you both met in 2014, I believe, when Mission Blue declared False Bay a hope spot. Craig, I'll open it to you. you you've talked with incredible passion about the time you met Sylvia how was that for you? It was quite incredible to see Sylvia coming off that aeroplane and just at full speed 
not stopping for a second and just incredible energy uh you know i normally take a week to recover from a plane plane trip like that but she was full force and my memories of her taking me aside and saying you know these animals that you're studying are like the crown jewels they're so valuable and we must do everything to try and keep them uh, preserved and made a huge impact on me the way she said it the deep love she has for these animals and at the just before she arrived i got the first photograph of a stara medusa which is an attached jellyfish and i couldn't really share this wonderful thing with anybody because nobody knew what it was but amazingly sylvia knew exactly what a stara medusa was and knew more about them than i did so it's very exciting to to meet someone who understands science so well and is such an incredible naturalist and then i saw her diving in impossible conditions you know very rough conditions going in with huge seven gill sharks and just loving it and handling the water in in an incredible way uh, so it was it was quite a she made quite an impact and i i don't often remember things from that long ago the 6 or 7 years ago but it had a deep impact on me and it was just you know, very inspiring for all of us who who met her then Sylvia False Bay's been something you've talked about many many times as one of your favorite hope spots. How was it when you got down there and met Craig and, and the team and what they were achieving in those frigid waters? <laughs> well, among other things, I am in awe of you, Craig, going into that chilly water with your built-in wetsuit, whatever it is that you have <laughs> under your skin. is all it keeps you warm that and i guess your warm heart it but your ability to just hold your breath and become one with the ocean hanley prinslow was there with us she's a famous mm. breath hold diver and encourages everyone especially kids to do what you do to just use what you're naturally endowed with your ability to just take a breath swati dive down and um and just be there with no noisy bubbles no heavy gear just you you and you in the ocean and the creatures who live there uh, and i haven't mastered the fine art of holding my breath for as long as you do to be able to descend into that realm and just have your skin just merged with the sea you know salt water is what we're made of mostly and and it's it's just beautiful to watch you you're a sea creature we launched that hope spot um tony you might remember uh, was a part of our sea change mission blue initiative and to dive down and and actually be able to stay as long as you do and and with the tank of air that I carried with me stay a little bit longer to be able to salute what you're doing in that magical forest so I brought pippa on pippa is the uh, <laughs> magician who directed this <laughs> big word sorry pippa but uh <laughs> while craig's rewiring his generator to get in um pippa how how was this whole experience you're part of one of the one of the eight creative leads at sea change project and this was a this was a spectacular opportunity to bring a story <laughs> to life in a new way a new new thing how was it for you 
I mean, it was it was mind blowing, and that's that's exactly what it is. It was as a storyteller to have the opportunity to work on a project like this, to work with a story like this, and to work with someone like Craig, and and to have you know two characters, not just an incredible human character, but this unbelievable animal character um, who was was so beguiling and enchanting and really has won the hearts of the world. Yeah, it was kind of a, a dream come true. I'd love to hear your your thoughts. Something that you've been very passionate about is this emotional ecology, and, and that was the purpose of the film. Would you talk to us a little bit about the importance of that to you and you know what you've gained from the Sand Tribe and, and how all this needs to be resonated across how we conserve? Yes, I think you know, 20 years ago, I had this incredible experience in the central Kalahari with these master trackers. And they took me into a, a world that I wouldn't have thought possible, you know, deep into understanding animal tracking, uh, understanding how the lives of animals are woven into our lives. It's inseparable, really. And and you know, I had this dream of trying to access some of that in the water. And I spent years and years um, teaching myself to track underwater. And then I met these incredible animals like my octopus teacher. And slowly but surely, they, they gave me these, these tremendous insights. And I, I, I developed this deep, deep love and passion for these animals and realized that, you know, we are, are not separate. We really are. Their fates are our fates. We, we, we woven in the same, in the same cloth. And somehow, you know, that's what I was trying to get across in the film and this incredible team of Pippa and the whole amazing team all around the world understood this. And I know Sylvia understands this deeply. And she, she spoke to me about this as well, that if we could get this idea that we are inseparable from nature and we completely reliant on each other and that if you could somehow portray that in a film, in a book, people would understand. And it's incredible how many people totally get this. It's woven into our evolutionary understanding. And, you know, we've been telling stories about animals from the beginning of time. So this is where this emotional ecology idea comes from, that if you can appeal to people's emotions and our innate love for the wild, then we naturally want to, to look after it. It's just a natural thing. Instead of pushing the conservation angle. And this is what Pippa, you know, uh, used to tell me again in the film, we can't talk too much about conservation overtly. We have to just put this love in, this incredible love uh, that we have. And then people will will get it. Emotionally, they will get it and then they'll want to, to look at conserving it. So that's the basic idea behind this, uh, what, you, what you're talking about, this emotional ecology. And, and how does it tie in with your, you know, you called it cold thermogenesis this, this <laughs> i called it freezing your bits off but that that sort of absorption how has that changed you as a person in conjunction with your experience of feeling at one where you talked about not being the hunter or the hunted that that whole analogy of how do you remove the fear from the situation how has this all changed you as a, as a person hmm. But what, what is so useful, you know, initially the cold is very distracting and it's difficult to get used to it. And, um, but after a year, I started finding that my body was developing the brown fat. And what is interesting is it changes your whole brain chemistry. So you, you it kind of 
elevates your thinking and it focuses you tremendously. So even though you can't swim as long in the water, the focus is there. And because you've got no wetsuit, you're feeling that kelp forest, you're feeling that water right around you. And your whole brain chemistry changes. So you, you kind of on a little bit of a high and you've got very clear focus and it actually helps the tracking. So it allows you to you know, strip off all the equipment and get much closer to those animals. And then also, I, I think it helps the intuition a little bit. And some of the tracking relies on obviously lots of signs and understanding all the little marks. But you know, we've got a natural intuition and that helps that as well. So it's a, it's a whole long process of just getting, the whole idea is to get closer to this environment, to get more closely connected to it. And I have found that, you know, not wearing the wetsuit and, and minimizing the gear helps tremendously in that way. We are terrestrial by nature, but the ocean is is truly what keeps us alive. And we have to return the favor. We have to keep the ocean alive. But just as getting to know the great sea forest, we need to know the great forest, great ocean beyond the forest, because it does all connect. What happens in the deep sea affects what happens in the forest. What happens in the forest affects what happens in the deep sea. And all of it happens, connects to wherever on the planet you happen to be above water. It's one big, mostly blue, living system. Then on our watch, the decisions will be made that will determine the future of our species. I mean, literally, the next 10 years or so will have a magnified importance. And, and your film, your life, what you're doing really is coming at exactly the right moment when people need to see themselves in relationship to nature in a new way. Actually, it's a very old way. It's learning that mm. we're connected and we need to reconnect in a way that is it shows how we have this unprecedented opportunity armed with knowledge to be able to make the right decisions at just the right time. I mean, climate change is upon us. What we do to protect those forests means the connection to protecting a stable climate and to capturing carbon, to maintaining the source of oxygen homes for this great diversity of life. And if everyone everywhere can look around and say, well, I can help support Craig and Pippa and the team, what they're doing, but what can I do here in my backyard? What can I do with my life? I think that's the other power of your film and, and your story, inspiring others to see what they can do in areas where they have some access that they can be motivated to step up and, and whether it's one of the hope spots that are now all over the world that they can engage there or make up their own ideas but it's the inspiration it truly is the art of telling the story that captures the imagination of people to see to motivate them to, to empower them so I'm really grateful to you. We have, yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you very, very much. We have got these incredible letters, Sylvia and Will, 
from all over the world of people exactly that, feeling that that same thing, feeling that they want to do something in their backyards and be it study insects or look at the, yeah. the birds or even in, in a city like New York, the, the insect populations are fascinating and bird, birds are everywhere, trees are everywhere. So uh, you can do this anywhere. You're absolutely right. And just that, that one connection you make can actually change. And we've seen this coming through in these letters have changed people's lives uh, in, in many cases. So um, I totally agree with you. It's absolutely critical that we all bandy together and, and really figure out, you know, how we're going to survive. Craig, I was going to say, how can we support the Sea Change Project? Because you're doing a lot of work here helping drive the attention. But like many, you know, groups, you need support, you need bolstering. And we have, you know, several thousand people that are listening in who want to support Sea Change. How can they? Uh, thanks very much for asking that, Well, Our dream at the moment is to start the Sea Change Science Lab. And really, we've got so many of these incredible discoveries, but we need to actually do the hard science on them and get those papers out because that, that science is so incredibly powerful for conservation, as you know, Silver and you know so well. So we're trying to, you know, just get this research and development phase of that going. So we want to literally de devote our lifetimes, um, to continuing this work where we combine this you know, every single day in the ocean, this incredible uh, work that's coming out of learning directly from these animals, but turn this into uh, very powerful science. And we've got an incredible sea change science scientist, Dr. Janis Lanskov, and he's got a um, amazing group of people around him, Professor Charles Griffiths, who's helped us and volunteered for years, and these amazing young PhD students, um, really keen to, to start this um, you know, many years of, of, of work um, that I think can contribute enormously to the understanding of the biodiversity of the great African sea forest. Mm -hmm. um, and then we'll feed back into the outreach programs we want to start uh, for young people in South Africa who are keen to get into marine science as well and to learn. So it's, it's, this is what we want to really try and do now. Uh, well, and we need, you know, um, a microscope and, um, uh, we need to fund these PhD students and the supervisors and get it going. So that's the that's the little dream for um, for the near future. So if we can get people to contact you at Sea Change Project to bring donations to support this, then it will it will be a, allow us to create this ecosystem going so that more stories can be told, more impact can be made, more little boys and little girls that we need to put on those fins in tanks or no tanks. Um, so people that are listening in who know people that can help, you know, this is our time. This is our chance. You know, the people on this call have put their superpowers to the, to the, to the car to push it up the hill. Um, it really is a call to arms now. And, um, you know, we, we all need to support that. Right. So, so if they contact you at Sea Change. Uh, project.com. Uh, there's a link on there, correct? So that they can reach out. Yes. Brilliant. That would be, so do that. That would be really fantastic. Thank you. And Ross will be delighted. Yeah, absolutely. There's no point in us listening and going, yeah, good. We'll look forward to the next film. Um, it's like, how do we help? Otherwise, we're, to your point, Sylvia, we're not asking the right questions. And the question is, how do we help? Uh, because the clock's ticking. And Craig and Pippa, what, um, what about protection, formal protection? 
it takes government action both locally and on a national scale. And increasingly, of course, we're looking at the high seas, the international scale mm. for for really dignifying our relationship with the natural, with the ocean, mm. with with guidelines for behavior, uh, <laughs> protection, if you will, so that, that, that we take the pressure off, that we really get serious about not harming the creatures who live in the sea because of their great value. Uh, think of it selfishly, back to us. Mm. What, what has to be done in South Africa to, to really enhance the protection? Well, this is the thing, uh, yeah, exactly. Um, if we can get the science done, then it's much easier to use that science to change policy uh, in government. If you can just, you know, the, a good story sometimes not sometimes not enough. Um, so if we if we if we combine the science, very good, powerful science with very powerful storytelling. Um, that, that is an amazingly uh, good combination to actually change policy. And that's what you're talking about, for governments to change policy mm. so we've got so, far more protection for the oceans, far more protection for these animals that are absolutely invaluable and far more valuable alive than, uh, than dead and on somebody's plate. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know if you've spoken about it already, but we have, yeah, the, the, a lot of the reef fish are in real trouble. So the lobster, the abalone. Mm. Um, so we, but we, the, the great hope here, as you know, Sylvia, is that the habitat is still largely intact. Um, and I've just been uh, actually up to the, the furthest reach of the great African sea forest in the east, where we get the dwarf forest. Um, and uh, they haven't uh, fished there for 35 years. And I was in chest deep water with massive fish, massive fish everywhere. So was Pippa. Um, and we photographed them. And it was just the most extraordinary thing to be in a place where we've looked after it. And, and these incredible places, these places of hope, um, are really the blueprint for what our planet uh, could look like if we just are gentle with it and leave it alone. And we came out of there just, you know, uh, in, in the feeling was phenomenal. And we took um, some some young South African guides uh, in that area and showed them these, and they were also just absolutely enthralled. So it can give so much to so many people. Uh, when we look after these ecosystems and just imagine a whole planet where we we care i mean it's it it is um you know everybody would just be so um uplifted by it in so many ways i mean uh, so yeah this is what we need we need the science we need the good storytelling we need the media we need uh we need everything to combine to make to make this a dream yeah well there are moves underway the 30% of the ocean by mm. 2030, the United Nations and Ed Wilson and many colleagues, um, the Wild Project, Half Earth, at least half the world, land mm. and sea, maintained with vigorous protection if we are to have a planet that works in our favor, knowing that the most important thing that we extract from the ocean is our existence. Mm. And our existence is at risk right now. When you look at the evidence, that's the science. It suggests that we're in serious trouble if we keep doing what we're doing. We have to have that sea change that you are 
really committed to. But it, it does mean a change of heart. The evidence is obviously not good enough because we've got the we've evidence. Got it. It's there. We can see the climate is changing, the atmosphere, people, are, what, what's in the air, what's in the water that's harming us by our own actions. We know really what we have to do. We need the motivation to be inspired, to have the courage and the will to do it. So getting governments to respond to the will of the people is to take the policy actions that are needed. You know, 30% is a good start. We need to treat all of the living world, other people included, with that dignity, that respect that you bring, that all of you bring to this film, that you have for the octopus, Craig. You look at her as a fellow being, as, a, as another equal, if you will, that we're in this together. And, you know, it's, if, if that understanding, taking the knowledge, taking the evidence, taking the science, but integrating it as humans, it's, it's the poetry of it. Um, I think, yeah, absolutely. So beautifully said. And I think it's this disconnection um, with the wild is, is, is in many ways the most dangerous thing um, on this planet. Because when you disconnect, you no longer care. And it's so sad, you know, that um, so many people, um, not of, often of their own doing, but just from def desperate circumstances, um, have been disconnected from the wild. And this is such a, uh, such a dangerous thing because then it's so easy um, just to do, you know, very irresponsible things and not look after the mother, the mother planet that's, that's literally feeding us, allowing us to breathe, breathe every second, uh, is the lifeblood um, of every second of our existence. Um, and it's so easy in the mad modern life to, to uh, lose sight of that. Um, and I think um, that what is, what is interesting about when we put this film out is that so many people responded uh, to that, that innate love that we all actually have for, for wild things and for wild creatures. We've all got it. It comes from the deep evolutionary past. Um, so it's there. We've got it. It's just underneath the skin and we just need to light that fire. It's important to realize that every octopus, like every human, is an individual. There are no two exactly alike. And I would expect you to see different behaviors. It's true with fish. It's true with cats and dogs. It's true with all living things. It's, it, you know, it's not just how many of a species there are in terms of, it's realizing that everyone counts in one way or another. And I'm uh, huh, excited that you have brought this one personality into focus. Mm for the world to see. They're, they're enormously different, Sylvia. I mean, from one animal to another, you can't believe how different the personalities are. And there's this huge scale with octopus. On the one side, there's fear and curiosity. And yeah. some animals are very, very curious, and some are very fearful. And their whole body postures, their coloring, everything kind of 
um, it, it, um, shows that. Um, and there are various advantages to having those different personalities as well. And their, their moods change uh, throughout the day as well tremendously. Um, so you, you're absolutely right. You're dealing with these incredible individuals. And I think that, you know, uh, this idea of this transactional conservation where you're only saving things to, um, you know, save the human race or save the planet, we have to look and, and care about that individual. And each animal has this, you know, tremendous right um, to live. And each life, these wild lives are so difficult to get to adulthood is so incredibly difficult. Mm. And it's, you know, when you, when you taken into the secret life of these animals, you realize just how incredibly hard it is to get to be an adult. And you, you have right. so much respect for that animal, you know, and to just take that life is, is uh, terrifying in, in many, many ways. You know, it's, it's each of these wild animals has just gone through so much, get where they are. Uh, and it's they, our, our life, it's a miracle. Yeah. And our lives are totally woven into that. We, we, we and you know, we we totally reliant on them. Biodiversity is the thing that is the immune system of the planet. It's the immune system that we need in order to function. And we're seeing the collapse of that immune system now, and all these problems we're facing is is based on that. So obvious, uh, but it seems like um, you know we, we're not taking too much cognizance of that so it's uh, absolutely that individual animal is critical as you said do you know i've been kind of looking from time to time at the questions coming in they're coming in from all over the world it's fantastic mm -hmm. that we're able to that you with your focus on the great sea forest have touched people and, and you're doing it right now, listening from Brazil, from the UK, from Hong Kong. I mean, you, this, it's cause for hope. It really yeah. is. It's, I think there's it, tremendous, yeah, tremendous cause for hope. And, and Sylvia, you've been an inspiration for so many years for so many people. I mean, we're just starting in comparison to you. So, you know, cannot thank you enough for your life dedication to this. And, you know, um, one day maybe we'll achieve a tiny bit of what you've achieved. So, um, you know, please, that's thank you for saying that. But you really have done so much more than we have. One day we're going to be back underwater together <laughs> i can't wait uh, wonderful oh that great Thanks, sylvia that's uh we i'm afraid we're out of time now we have 30 seconds to go but um craig thanks for coming back in pippa for diving in last minute to support thanks pippa the change projects have been up to uh dr Earl for for getting up at the track of dawn to get in here with us all and uh, and inspiring everybody as craig says um you, you open the door for us all to feel that we can have an impact and uh, this is really important and this blue hope uh, conversation uh, is is something that we need to keep building on uh, do more great work expand those hope spots around the world and please those that were able to join us this morning this evening go to the seachangeproject.com go to missionblue.org and, and get involved feel like you can uh, I've been your story and, <laughs> and Craig could we do this again sometime soon we yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that would be that'd be fantastic well thank you so much for 
for everything you've done. And Sylvia, you was a massive inspiration to us. And Pippa, thanks for Pippa, being so, so quick and clever and getting on there. Um, yeah, incredible team we have. Bless, bless you all. Thank you. Excellent. Well, have a beautiful day, beautiful evening. Let's all act and not watch. And uh, let's keep elevating Mission Blue. Thank you so much indeed. And uh, thanks, all the very guys. best. Cheers. Bye. Cheers. Just as Sylvia and Craig are using their voices to create a better world, Steve Lillywhite is using his ears. Steve has turned the art of listening into some of the most listened to music of the last four decades. Join us for Elevate Season 2, Episode 2, with legendary music producer and listener, Steve Lillywhite.